And I think a large part of that comes down to relationships that you mm-hmm. hold with that broker or that professional. You know, we say that property is a game of finance, but I'd argue that property is also a game of people. Yeah, relationships. Yeah, property, uh, property is relationships. Going one, going twice, Okay, everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Property Pod here at the desk today with me is John McGregor and Chris again, who's back for his second episode. Welcome back, mate. Thanks, heaps. Uh, pleasure to be back. Well, clearly we didn't scare you away on the first one, so Not that's always all. a bonus. That's a good start. <laughs> is, isn't it, John? Yes. <laughs> Straight off the bat is what I thought when Chris came back to me after we put episode one out and said, oh, I've got heaps of episodes to think about. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, we didn't scare him too much. No, that works for me. <laughs> welcome back, mate. Thanks for coming. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So look, Chris, you've come up with another idea looking more at the basic side of investments that you're keen to have a chat about. How are we going to break down today? Because I'm sure the listeners got a lot out of the last episode and I'm really excited that you're back. What have we got on the cards today? Yeah, awesome. So today I was thinking it'd be a good idea to take it back to basics and sort of think about if I want to start getting into property investing, what are the things I should consider? Mm. So there's kind of three things that I would look at. The first thing is around having a plan. So that's around having an idea about why you want to invest. Yep. Because that'll actually help you determine the other things. Mm. Second thing is around budget. So thinking about finance and getting that sorted. And then the third thing is once you've gotten those two steps, the third thing is around educating yourself. So that's when you can start to go out and start to look at properties, get an idea of what's out there. Yeah. And what's interesting, you haven't even said about buying a property yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because I would say the first thing that people will often do very, very quickly is go, oh, buy a property. Oh, I got some money. Now let's go buy something within what they told me I could buy. Um, and we're really not even talking about that yet. Like that's the that's the fine little pin. Um, exactly. I suppose the idea being is that you're, you're, you're building your pillars so that the, the buying aspect becomes almost the easiest part because all the rest of the area has been c- completely covered. Exactly. Once you have that plan, all that you're doing is just executing on that plan that you've set up. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, there's, there's so much meat in that. So, um, I mean, the first thing I guess would just start with number one, which is the plan. Now, I think you said that it's really about understanding a few things, but one of them is why. But if you want to just talk about what you um, believe, what you see is a plan and what that looks like for people yeah, totally. as an investor. So one of the common things that I see a lot is that people will ask, the first question they'll say, they'll say, this is my budget, what should I buy? Mm. And to me, the answer is it depends. Where do you want to be? How many properties do you want? You know, is this your first property or your 10th property? Because your end goal will actually determine how you need that property to perform. Is is that something that people think about straight off the bat? Like how, what is my goal? Like my goal, if I was to be an investor and I suck at it, I tried once and got back out. (laughs) Don't I want to own as many as possible? Isn't that the the goal or? That's a really good question. I think, again, it does depend on where you want to be. So for a lot of people, you might ask them like, um, why do you want to invest? And they might say, well, I just want more money. Maybe you want to be a bit more detailed than, than that. Mm. Maybe it means you want financial freedom. What does that look like? Does that mean scaling back on a bit of paid work? Does that mean you want more time? And if that's the case, you're really talking about generating a passive income. Yeah. I think that's really important because um, have more money. Well, you buy the wrong thing and you can get yourself into a heck of a lot of trouble and all of a sudden you don't have more money. You've got way less than you ever thought imaginable. And the problem is too is the um, property isn't just one you can just get in and out in a day. So if you if you set yourself up really poorly, you can really – you know, do some damage to yourself financially. And I think the last few years has shown that people, you've got a lot of um, accidental experts because they just chose a lucky time to purchase. They didn't actually do it, you know. Um, I mean, the real strategy, I suppose, is how to buy when things get tough. 
And, you know, part of a really good plan is to ensure, well, then, you know, everything may not work out as exactly as you like. So making sure that you have a really good plan, a good goal that isn't just, you know, um, that you can work to is really important so you don't actually get yourself in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like if you bought property in the last two years in Australia, chances are you're going to be doing well. Mm. But, you know, again, we look at the horizon for property and you're looking generally, you know, 15 to 30 years. Mm. Anywhere between that band. So I guess then if you're someone was to say, oh, look, I just want to make more money, what we're really probably talking about is we're, we're trying to help them get a little bit more um, detailed on exactly what they want. So you said that um, what they, if they want some bit more freedom and time, you said you need passive income, which is obviously then the, they put the passive income as money working for you. It's putting money into your pocket without you actually physically trading your time or money, or labour in that sense. Yep. So in your mind then, mate, if someone was to say, okay, great, I had a goal, it's probably a really lousy goal, how can I set better ones and then and then put that into a plan? Yeah, exactly. So the goal itself is really, like for my plan, I just have one sentence and that's my why about why I'm, why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And for me that sort of helps me because if I'm looking at passive income, I'm mm. going to break that down into what would that look like for me. So I'll give an example. So if you maybe decide, okay, if I want to replace my income or the household income, you might pick a nice round number. You might say, okay, I want to have 100K a year. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have a portfolio that's generating $100,000 every year. So what will I need to do that? One property won't do it. Mm -hmm. Two properties probably won't do it. Chances are, you know, if you break it down, you know, you might be looking at twenty dollars to $30,000 each year from each property. Mm -hmm. That's if they're fully paid off. So we're talking about if you sort of, you know, wait one or two property cycles and then the property could be paid off. That's when you want to sort of break it down. So this is where it gets important. So if you decide that you want to purchase more than one or two properties, you need to start thinking about what are the assets I'm purchasing. Sure. That's when it, That's when we start having that conversation about capital growth and cash flow and that balance and the dance that you play between the two. Because I know one thing when we caught up last time was that often people will go out and buy even if it is an investment property, let's just assume someone has, uh, well, it could work either way. Is it, okay, they've been given a budget of $600,000, $800,000, a million dollars, especially if you're in different markets, and then they go out and they buy that million-dollar property. Um, The only challenge is, though, is that obviously the higher you stretch yourself, the longer that is to be able to leverage and, you know, pay down that debt quicker. So all you're really doing is delaying that time. Would that be right? Yeah, definitely. Part of it comes down to having good cash flow. So if you're borrowing money from a lender, you want to demonstrate to them that you can pay that back. And if you've borrowed, you know, if if you're pushing yourself in terms of your cash flow, you're going to make it difficult to demonstrate that you can actually service that loan. Yeah. And And that's where people get stuck. And maybe we could say that when we talk about cash flow, what we're really talking about is how much money you're getting every week. Um, And if you've leveraged yourself too much by... You know, you, you might own three properties, for example, all of them actually cost you 100 bucks a week. You've actually got $300 a week less to be able to um, do what you need to do every day. Exactly. And all of a sudden, if the interest rate rises a little bit or someone has to lose a job, you know, you're, you're really crunched and you, they'll put you under a lot of stress. So all of a sudden, the idea that having a bunch of properties um, is going to make you more money is the complete opposite of what you're hoping to do. Mm. And I suppose where that element 
the good thing, let's just say you were given a budget of a million bucks and you only you found a, a specific region or area or property that was, you know, a half that expense. Well, worst case scenario, um, you might have spent $500,000. Well, you'll easily be able to support that mortgage with, without question, even if something goes wrong. So I suppose going back to that plan and you said, okay, my why is to give yourself financial freedom, you'll need uh, within a certain time frame. Well, then obviously maxing yourself out financially every single time you buy a property is probably going to be the wrong move. Correct. Um, so then with that plan, you, so we've established a why um, and it, in one case it might be, look, I just want the freedom to take care of my expenses. Um, I think <coughs> Rob, the Robert Kiyosaki calls it, calls it the rat race, I'm sure some mm. people are familiar with. Getting yourself out of that rat race where you're no longer working a job just to pay the bills. Um, and next thing I suppose with that plan you talked about was obviously trying to challenge yourself by setting a time frame. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you want to set a bit of a time frame in terms of that. And I'm, I'm just going to pick some numbers here. Let's say I want to retire in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Let's say I want to accelerate retirement a little bit earlier. So that means I want my properties uh, to be performing well enough that they're generating cash flow over time. But at the same time as well, if I'm going to be pulling money out from those properties, I need them to grow during that period. Right. And that's this concept of capital growth. Mm. So it's almost like, you know, finding that even balance between a property that has good capital growth plus the one that has the good return to allow you to purchase the more properties. Exactly. And that's the whole art and science of property investing. Yeah, I know one of the... um and this is a really important thing because I think, how I said, there's a lot of um, you know armchair experts by accident over the last few years. That's this show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. The other problem is that these chairs don't have arms. Um, the we had a client once many years ago. He had um, purchased a property in one of the suburbs out here in Old Beach, and he he purchased it for four hundred thousand dollars. And at the time, back in 2012, 2013, it had to sell for three hundred and forty. So there was a loss of $60,000 in that case. Um, so the thing is, is that, you know, um, fortunate enough that this obviously changed dramatically over time, but that was uh, an instance where he purchased it at a time, couldn't hold onto the property for long enough. It just, there was a market correction and, you know, he basically had to take the hit. Um, and luckily I suppose he was in a position where he could do that, but we have other investors too who could physically not sell the property of course. Um, because another client, um, he owed more on the mortgage than he could sell the property for, so the bank wouldn't release him from it. Mm. And in his particular case, I remember, he was just an accidental investor in the idea that that was his principal place of residence. He bought another house, you know, used the equity out of that to be able to borrow into his next property um, and then tried to sell it too quickly before, in you know, where the market wasn't going to pay what he needed to. Mm. So he didn't specifically have a plan he just became an investor because he had a property. Yeah. And that is another common way how we become investors. We've just got a house and we get another house and we keep it, not recognising that, oh, maybe we need to think through it just a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I'd, I'd say, in, generally speaking, most people could, could get to one or two properties, no problem. Yep. It's, it's once you want to go beyond that, that's when you really want to start to thinking about how can I pull out some capital to, to release capital for the next purchase. Cool. Okay, so we've talked about the why. We've talked about setting a, probably a a better, more defined goal rather than just more money because what does money do? Money offers us choices. So then if you were to say, okay, let's just say uh, over the course of our 30, 40 years of home ownership, maybe longer, maybe getting an extra one's 
going to be pretty easy. You talked about um, accumulating more. So how would you see a plan laid out to try and accumulate five to ten properties? What would that look like versus we'll just call it not being me, just an accidental investor? I think part of it comes down to really considering the assets that you want to buy along the way. So if you're holding a portfolio of six or ten properties, each property within that portfolio Mm -hmm. will basically serve a slightly different function. So if I want my first and second property, I want them to grow strongly enough that I can then pull out equity. So I don't, I don't want to have to fund another purchase out of my own pocket. Right. I'm going to be wanting to pull out that equity. Now, generally speaking, some things that I'd be looking for, I'd be looking for properties that you can value add, anything that you can do a renovation along the way, and something that has a bit of uplift. So the reason I say that is because um, I could buy a property that's fully renovated, fully maxed out, and it looks fantastic, but I can't add to that myself. So if, if I need that property to grow, it's solely the market that's going to be doing that. Mm. And if we take a bit of a, if there's a correction or a downturn, things, you know, that, that growth is going to be slower. And so that yep. means I'm going to have to wait longer before I can pull that equity out. And if, I, if I'm lasting, you know, if I'm going to be taking two or three years to pull out that equity, that might be too long for me. There's multiple advantages in what you just described there. Um, by buying the property that needs a little bit of work, that means obviously it's potentially a little bit cheaper as well. So Correct. it allows you to be able to look at multiple options in your scenario, Chris. But I think what you touched on there is a really good point actually where trying to find something that has the ability to get that little bit extra value mm. by doing some improvements to it. Now, be that a kitchen or a bathroom or whatever it may be, um, that's definitely going to add more growth to the home's value over time as well as the market itself. Exactly. Yeah, so I know a lot of the time, you know, one of the most popular properties in our market right now especially are properties that need no work whatsoever. There's a real pent-up demand because building's been hard and people will pay an absolute premium where they can walk in and just live their life. Um, Realistically, though, if you're looking for an investment, that may not be the way to do it. Um, well, you're giving all the profits to the other person. Absolutely. Um, and now there's, there's so much to this. You know, obviously there's depreciation schedules on brand new homes. So there's, de- there's this whole form is part of the plan. Mm. Like there's so much meat in this. It's crazy. Um, but very simplistically, especially if it's in, like we're, you're buying for an area and maybe the, the common property in that area is 1960s ex-commission um, area, really solid homes, but they're, you know, they still could use a little bit of love, and with that, you could value add. I think you called that deep value um, previously. Last time, yeah, yeah, and then of course that could enable, especially to invest that little bit more, will increase your cash flow. Exactly. And because then of course you've done that work yourself, you can depreciate that asset a bit more, and again get a little bit more leverage to get that weekly income being performing a little bit better for you. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a really good point you touched on around the cash flow because that's probably the second component around this equation is that, you know, if a lender will say, okay, cool, we're going to lend you money, how are you going to pay that back? Mm. So if your income is not increasing, you're going to need to consider your cash flow and you'll generally look at that in terms of a rental yield that a property will generate. Mm. So uh, now quickly to rental yield is effectively the um, a value, um, is the value of the home to sell um, divided by the rent you achieve every year. Correct. That will give you a percentage. Correct. So, I mean, the higher the, higher, the better. Well, the, t- the higher the better depending on what you're trying to achieve. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're working on a yield-only arrangement, then it's probably going to be the fact that it's in an area that's going to not potentially have massive capital growth. Mm. So, um, you know, Chris, I think, will speak where he's looked at different options of where you invest depending on what you're trying to achieve, and there are different investors out there. Some yep. only focus on yield 
and you know you can normally get really good yield in really poor areas mm. because the homes are cheap but people are high renters in that area so they'll pay a premium to rent and yep. therefore you get the good return but then you could look at somewhere like where we are here in Glenorchy where you'll pay more for the property you won't get as high yield but you will get probably some pretty good growth over the the period of owning the property absolutely and i suppose that you know hugely high demand areas then um where that like the premium end of the markets you know if there's a 10 percent adjustment upwards where there's a lot more dollar value on those properties again but they'll perform worse than the yield so you're right like are you looking for the capital growth or the cash flow immediately so how does that play in for you chris when you're looking at properties is it more yield or growth or a balance of both that you're sort of looking at ideally we try and find a balance of both but for me personally i do have a preference towards capital growth okay you know i'm not afraid to be a little bit negatively geared uh, if that means over the long term I'm going to be holding holding property that's going to be performing well. I suppose one thing that's really important that though in your plan is that because um, after we should probably have to, is negatively geared means it's going to those properties costing you week on week out. Yes, you are in a position where you can manage that though. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a really important distinction because if um, if you're not in a position to be able to manage that, well then negatively gearing a property is probably a terrible idea in my <laughs> mind um, because it's just uh, but yeah you can hold up for capital growth. Yes, unfortunately though is that that does put an um, a stress on you week in week out that you cannot manage out of unless the property's let go of your portfolio. I think that's. Um Important to know as well that, you know, no investor's the same. Everyone's no. going to have their different approach. And mm. I think that's what, Chris, you're trying to get across to people today is is that work at your individual plan. Mm. Don't listen to what we're saying today and what's been successful for yourself because that may not be successful for John. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And, exactly. and the thing is too is that your plan is malleable or, you know, it's changeable because what works today won't work tomorrow. And you're looking at that every six to 12 months going, right, now we need to reposition it. Correct. Mm. So those negatively geared properties today will be positively geared tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but down, down, down the, the road. Yep. So, you know, you're taking that short-term pain so that you get a massive payoff at the at the end. Correct. Rather than trying to get all all of it at once. Exactly. So, so, I, get, so I guess wrapping up into that plan, what we're really, what we're really looking at is, okay, why are you doing it? Um, how, you know, was it how, why, how, and when? In yep. some respects, exactly is you know answer those you know core questions, um, and then all these little details start to um, that well that that forms a better way then of what you need to look at. And I know like um, was there, was there anything else I suppose we could think of that would be important with the plan? I think the plan itself is it's just a it's a flexible fluid document. So um, that you know that why that we're talking about that's just a couple of sentences and it doesn't mm. have to be a big exercise. You could maybe spend half an hour you know, having a little bit of a reflective exercise and thinking about what that'll be. I love that fluid aspect. Mm. Um, I think some people will go and, you know, write their big business plan. Um, we do it here where we will set out our yearly goal, but that can change yeah, depending exactly. on market tr- conditions, um, you know, investment areas. There's so many variables that change throughout a calendar year mm. and being fluid with your plan and not being stuck in that tunnel vision I think is important. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what people definitely need to understand is that what's working today also for yourself might not be the best plan moving forward for, you know, your next investment opportunity. Yeah. That's right too. And that's also why we sort of talk about this idea that every one situation is different. So, again, what will work for me won't work for everyone else. Some people might have a preference towards cash flow and they might decide, look, I'm actually happy. I don't want to purchase more properties. I'm happy just to do that. So I might just want to get more money in my pocket at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the plan, like... Um, you know, the best laid plans can fall apart, you know. Yeah. I like that quote from Mike Tyson. He says, um, 
everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's so damn true. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty, um, there's a lot on the plan there. Well, what, what if then, okay, now you've got the plan. That's, I suppose, then we move into the budget. Which once the, I suppose once the once you got your plan laid out, this starts to become a little bit more simpler. So what what do you mean by budget when it comes to financing your properties at this point? Basically, talking about how much can you borrow. And there you go. Yeah, and so when you're thinking about that, um, you want to start to assemble a bit of a team around you. Okay. And that oh, team. Was, John loves the team. Love a good team. <laughs> yeah, good. Love good. a good team. Excellent. So you might want someone like an accountant. <laughs> yep. Might want a conveyance or a solicitor. You want a mortgage broker, not mm. necessary. You might want to go direct to a lender, but having a good mortgage broker in your corner will help a lot. Mm. And any of these professionals, uh, if they're doing a good job, they should take the time to sit down, work on that plan with you. They won't give you financial advice per se because it's it's your situation, mm-hmm. but they'll be able to help guide you and brainstorm and bounce some ideas off as well. Because I think that's a really important thing because these people aren't financial planners, are they? Correct. They are those that um, you're, you're your own financial planner in this case but now you're going to the people who have the specialised knowledge in the fields that you need. Exactly. That's right. You know, and that's that whole thing about educating yourself because when you do that, that empowers you. Mm. I, lo- I love that aspect of like John always says on this show, put them in your corner and get, you know, this team built around you because when you have that and the opportunity comes, you can just go bang, bang, bang and move on something really fast if you've yep. got all the right connections in play. Like even right down to simple things like an mm. inspection. You know, you might want to get one done, but, you know, there's time sensitive because there's other buyers involved. But if you've got a relationship built with a inspector that you've used multiple times before, you can literally probably pull a few yeah. strings to get him to the property nice and fast and you That's can tick that off and move on. Mm. The same goes for brokers. Like if they've helped you finance other deals already, they already know your situation so they can normally move relatively fast in helping you secure that next property. Exactly. And I think a large part of that comes down to relationships that you Mm -hmm. hold with that broker or that professional. You know, we say that property is a game of finance, but I'd argue that property is also a game of people. Yeah, relationships. Yeah, property, uh, property is relationships. That's the thing is that, you know, a budget doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be complex, is it? Really, like you said, it's, well, um, what can you borrow? Can you afford it? And then what number does it spit at the end of the week? And with yours, mate, does that just look like a simple spreadsheet? How does that actually look physically to a person trying to make a budget? Probably the, the best way to start is literally crunching back of the envelope numbers and start writing down some figures in terms of what will work for you. Okay. And that's probably why I put the why at the beginning. Well, that's probably why I talked about planning first because if you go to a broker, uh, you know, or a finance professional, they're probably going to ask you those questions. So you want to be a little bit armed in your responses around that so that yeah, you've got a bit of an idea. Yeah, uh, so if you're prepared and you're going in with that extra knowledge, it sort of shows to them that you know what you're doing and gives them the confidence to, to move forward with helping to support the deal. Yeah. Oh, look, I know a common question is they're going to ask you for the breakdown of your expenses over the last three months. Well, going back through your bank statements and actually trying to figure those out, not perfectly, but in a loose way is probably a good idea. Jeez, I reckon if they look at my credit card, they'll say, see you later, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. I had, I had a couple of extra subscriptions come out that I'd forgotten to cancel before. Um, but, but but that's the thing, hey, like someone will walk in and they'll start firing back these questions. You're like, God, I don't know how much I spend every month. So I suppose the budget is yeah, working backwards for what you actually spend over the last three to six months. Where What actually does your weekly uh, checkbook look like? way it goes that's it it doesn't have to be a, a detailed forensic exercise as well you can provide a guesstimate too mm. and that's really what lenders are looking for they look at your ho- household expenditure over a month yep and they're looking to find out um you know basically how much you're spending are there any um uh, in terms of your buffers do you have enough left in there as well at the end of the day gotcha i really like um so i bank with one of the major four banks and when i log into my portal these days it's actually got a little wheel and it shows me you know 
it makes assumptions as to where I'm spending my money based oh, yeah. on the comments that I write when I transfer money places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's quite good because it does give you a bit of a breakdown on how you're spending your money without actually doing any research. <laughs> but then when Love most that. of it says fun and entertainment, yeah, <laughs> I'm probably spending too it's, much. It's just like it just, are you living a good life? It's just a big tick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, and that, that's the thing, you know, a budget doesn't have to be boring and it doesn't have to take too long. Um, and the other thing is too is why that's important is you might find out that you need to get a little bit more money um, available. So what does that look like? Well, does that mean that before we buy a property, do we reposition ourselves in our jobs Correct. so that then that you know gets a little bit of income? Do we renegotiate in some other subscriptions that we can drop and other parts so you can start to either increase your income and decrease your expenses so that therefore your borrowing capacity starts to ex- increase and you've got more flexibility about what you can buy moving forward. That's it. So I suppose then, you know, if you've got your plan, you've got your money sorted as best as you can. I mean, the last thing you've put there then is education. So educating yourself. So what is it? I mean, obviously this, they've come into it. But on a broader scale then, what are you referring to when you're saying educate yourself? I'm talking about um, taking that step in terms of going out and finding properties. Okay. So and the reason I put that third was because you need to know what you kind of what you want to look for. Sure. That's the plan at the beginning. And there's no point going out and looking unless you sort of know or have mm. a rough range in terms of your budget. Sure. And look, that that's really important because you might discover through that budgeting phase that you thought you could only buy one investment property, but you've got the capacity to potentially buy two properties. Mm. And I think in our last episode with you, you outlined as well that um, one of the deals that you did, you set up finance to do two at once. Yes. It wasn't a matter of just buying my next. It was you just went bang, bang, two in a row really fast. And I assume that all came into that planning and budget stage that allowed you to do that in this third stage, which is obviously the, the research and the part of it all. Yeah, spot on. One of the things around the budget is that, um, you know, you can rely on the professionals around you to help guide you in terms of how do you how do you want to tighten up that budget there? Mm, sure, sure. So yeah, it's like, it's okay to go to your accountant and go, hey, how can we do this all to the broker? What do you need to see in order to be able to increase my capacity? So correct me if I'm wrong, we're probably backtracking a bit here, Chris, but potentially through this um, planning stage and budget stage, um, you might uncover, like John just described, a few big rocks that if you spend the next three to four months moving and fixing them, it improves your position. So maybe this um, buying the investment property is not a tomorrow thing. It might be mm. a six-month thing, but you set it. You start today to set up for that process so that when the time comes to buy, you're in that lot stronger position to do so. That's it. And in terms of demonstrating that to a lender as well, it's going to look much more favourably for you. Mm. And it also gives you the time and the space to then start to do some education in the meantime as well. So, you know, you you don't necessarily need to wait till a broker will come back and say, yep, we've got a green light, good to go. You can start to do all this education at the Mm. back end before. Actually, that's a really good point because one of the most, the biggest problems that's going to get in your way in this process is the fear of missing out. And mm. what we're really establishing here, this is a lifetime process, mm. not trying to grab something the next two months. And like you said, Pat, fixing those rocks might take you that time, but that's good. Well, you know? I'm assuming there's going to be people out there listening, knowing what the Hobart marketplace is like, and they're automatically assuming, well, if, geez, if I wait six months to improve my lending position, house prices are going to have jumped again. That's going to leave me out of the thing. But I think you're a great example of this, Chris. You need to look outside your own backyard as well for opportunities. Mm. Um, it, just because you want to buy an investment property doesn't mean it has to be in the Next suburb door. you live in. Mm. Like Simon Presley is a great example of this. He'll suggest people to buy properties all over Australia based on where the good income is currently available and where the good capital growth is. Mm. And it's about becoming the expert on that area 
Yeah. That is the next big thing rather than trying to buy one close by. Absolutely. Or one that you can go to on the weekend at the open home and feel comfortable by walking through it. Yeah, obviously, which obviously has a degree of separation that could be tough for some people because we're so connected with our properties. Um, but if if nothing in your immediate five-kilometre radius fits with your plan, well, you'll be looking elsewhere. So I guess one of the advantages of borderless investing is that if you're buying in different markets, um, firstly, you can diversify. And secondly, you can potentially take advantage of properties that are in different cycles. Mm, sure, sure. Again, those property cycles like Western Australia is going to move differently than Hobart, for example. Yeah. 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 And I guess that just comes back down to this knowledge and research aspect of it and just arming yourself with the trends and trying to obviously research the hell out of areas. Mm. Like, And you said it yourself in the last episode, you are here before you bought anything. You absorbed every podcast you could to learn about the investing process. You absorbed information online around where properties were selling for and how much they were selling for so that you weren't walking into a negotiation with an agent not having an understanding as to what that looks like. So, And I think that's really powerful because some people will come up to us at an open home and they make the biggest mistake of their life. And if you're listening, never do this to me because you'll never get a property at a good price. I'll, I'll offer four fifty. But if the owner wants more, I'll happily pay more. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, so researching and knowing what the median price for an area is and knowing what the days on market for an area is, I think they are huge advantages to a negotiation conversation. Spot on. Because if a property's area is on the market for, you know, seven or eight days is the yeah. average time frame and this one's been around for three or four weeks, well, that's a good power for you to know that potentially it's a, a little bit above the market and you've got a bit of room to play with. Absolutely. And, w- and what you're referring to there is um, getting good knowledge and you get good knowledge by asking good questions. Mm. And that's the thing is that you don't need to th- expect yourself to be an Australian-wide property expert in every little nuanced suburb, etc. And then again, that's by p- asking the right people the right questions and then they can guide you with the good answers. Mm. Leverage a person's 20 years worth of knowledge, experience and research rather than sitting there thinking starting from day zero. And I'm going to put a selfish plug out as well for our new website that we launched this week. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, so obviously we just launched our new 414 website this week and that's what we've we've focused on. We've Mm. shifted our website from being a place where you go to buy a house to being an educational platform. Yeah. So with this podcast that we put together each week, the blogs that we put together with Nino every week, um, it's all designed to help you have a better understanding as to the marketplace. And now we've just been lucky enough to – to partner with CoreLogic, which is one of Australia's largest database companies for sales data. Mm -hmm. And you can now search any suburb in the entire country and know how it's how it's trending, what the average days on market is, what the, you know, what the median sale price, median rental price is, and you can even drill down further. You might find a house that you really want to buy. Mm. You can come to our website, chuck in that address, Good and it'll spit out a potential sale price for you, so you know where you have to be in the market for that home. Yeah, because it's like a specialised report, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, um, it's a specialised report for that exact property, and yeah. CoreLogic will use its knowledge of the home in the area mm, to provide mm. you with an idea of what it might sell for. Oh, look, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. And I know like when if you buy those reports individually, obviously there's different scales, but sometimes they can be upwards of 50 bucks a property. Mm. So the fact we can offer it now through the website, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, I think that um, – I, I guess we've, re- it's, we've covered off a huge gambit 30 minutes, but, you know, there's three parts that we talked about, which is, you know, defining your plan – then being able to set the budget and then it's moving into the education space, which I like that, which is your, you know, your understanding the market and where you're going to buy and what you need to buy for that particular area. That's it. Cool. So, mate, thanks so much for putting all that plan together. And it really ties in well, I suppose, with the vision for this business as well and where we want to be for our clients and, and you know, the public. So, obviously, this is just a small part and I suppose a larger picture that we're trying to form, um, which is, a, you know, to 
by the end of it to have a real big uh, understanding to be able to you know progress yourself in property ownership. So, mate, thanks so much for putting this together and really forward to, looking forward to having you back again. Likewise. Thanks, guys. No, I appreciate you coming in, mate. It's been a great episode again and, you know, we're stoked to continue this partnership on with you. Awesome. Beautiful. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. It's been fun being on the buttons again. I do think we've got one more week without Aaron, but then he's back on deck for the rest of the year. So looking forward to that. Enjoy your holiday hours and we'll talk soon, guys. Take care. See you. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to The Property Pod, recorded and edited by 414 Media House in conjunction with 414 Property This podcast is general information only and the thoughts and views expressed is the opinion of our panel and listeners should always seek then use their own investigation into any topic we discuss to ensure they fully understand their own situation. It does not constitute and should not be relied on as purchasing, selling, financial or investment advice or recommendations expressed or implied and it should not be used as an invitation to take up any agent or investment services. No investment decision or activity should be undertaken on the basis of this information without first seeking qualified and professional advice. 